From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, and it is my pleasure to be sitting in for Tony Perkins today. So glad that you have joined us. You give us an hour, and we make you smarter and hopefully encourage you as well. Today on the program, uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to start off with HR1, which is the most important issue in America that not a lot of people know about as far as I'm concerned. Elections. Why are the Democrats in Washington, D.C. trying to change the way every state conducts their elections? We're going to discuss that. Uh, Then we're going to talk in the uh, second uh, segment today about election integrity with Michelle Bachman. And what's happening uh, to try to make sure that we can trust the uh, integrity of elections into the future. We're also going to discuss fairness for all. It's kind of the the diet soda of the Equality Act, if you will. Um, But it's still a problem. Uh, Soda is bad, and even diet soda is bad sometimes. And that includes the fairness for all attempt at a compromise. And then we're going to finish off the program today. Talking about uh, why the world and why the gospel have different understandings of love and how that matters in our political conversations today. But first, uh, we are going to talk about H.R. 1. What's going on in the Senate? What's going on uh, uh, not only in the Senate, in the House as well? But why are they working so hard to change the way elections are done. To have that conversation, I'd like to welcome in Ken Blackwell, FRC Senior Fellow for Human Rights and Constitutional Government. Also, importantly in this conversation, a former Ohio Secretary of State. Ken, thanks for coming back to the program. Joseph, good to be with you, sir. Well, talk to me about what you are seeing in 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 Washington D.C. because the or the rhetoric is changing. We've been talking about HR one, but suddenly HR uh, one is a civil rights issue. Why is that? Well, first let, let's say what HR one, uh, which has been amply labeled now as the Stop uh, the Corrupt Politicians Act, would actually take an election authority away from the state uh, and give it to the Congress. And a lot of the safeguards that we have put in place or that should be in place to make sure that uh, election integrity uh, is is achieved, like um, making sure that the um, the verification processes and policies stay in place or are reinforced, uh, like voter ID. Uh, make sure that the chain of custody of a ballot, a voter's ballot, uh, is, is, is tight and, and not ripe for intervention and fraud and manipulation. Uh, these uh, initiatives embedded in H.R. 1 and S.B.O. S1 would, in fact, uh, uh, nationalize this and, and regularize the sort of practices that uh, destroy voter confidence uh, in the 2020 e- e- election. Uh, and so that's why the, we've put so much importance on this, is because it is transformational. It would, it would fundamentally change our constitutional uh, Republic. Ken, I got a, I got a question about that because of the fundamental change this represents. Is it even constitutional for Congress to tell every state how to conduct their elections? 
Well, there's some ambivalence in the Constitution on that, but our practice for 245 years now has been to make sure that elections are conducted uh, at what I call uh, the, the most basic level of, of, of transparency, and that is the precinct level. We vote in precincts in this country because it assures not only a, a tight uh, uh, grip on verification, voter verification, it also maintains the chain of custody. Uh, and so, one, uh, we have a tradition of making sure that the electors, for instance, in the presidential election are chosen by legislatures across the country. Right. There's no ambivalence there. What the, the politicians in Washington are trying to do is to uh, make it easier uh, to cheat. What those of us who have been concerned about election integrity uh, have been concerned with, and that is making it easy to vote, but hard to cheat. And, 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 and there is the, there's the rub, Joseph. Yeah. Uh, loosening the verification uh, processes and policies, uh, loosening the chain of custody, uh, moving uh, the authority all the way to Washington and the Washington bureaucracy uh, and Washington-based politicians really sure. does destroy uh, the subsidiarity principle of government that works best is government closest to the people. Uh, and that's why we do things in counties yeah. uh, and, and, and precincts, and, and we, in fact, encourage uh, Election Day voting, because that's the tightest way of maintaining a chain of custody uh, and is also the tightest way of making sure that voters are who they claim to be because it takes place in neighborhoods where, in the main, people know one another. That's a really good point, I think, and, and one worth dwelling on for a moment is is uh, the a government of, for, and by the people happens close to the people it is of, bo of by, and for. And, and to the degree that Washington, D.C. takes over the process and dictates to every county and every city and every state how their election processes must be done, uh, the people – do have less influence um, because the government is simply uh, removed from them. Now, one of the issues that that is is being kind of subsumed or blended with the HR uh, one debate is with the filibuster in the Senate because. Uh, typically in the in the Senate, you need to have 60 votes to get something passed, and uh, that's because of the filibuster rules, and this has become part of the conversation as well. And Ken, I'm going to play a, a clip here, uh, and this will be clip one uh, from Georgia Democrat Senator Raphael Warnock about why he thinks the filibuster is such a problem in this debate as well. So go ahead and play that, guys. I'm here to say that this issue is bigger than the filibuster. I stand before you saying that this issue, access to voting and preempting politicians' efforts to restrict voting, is so fundamental to our democracy that it is too important to be held hostage by a Senate rule, especially one historically used to restrict expansion of voting rights. Now, that's... Uh 
Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock, and he's referring to the discussion about removing a Senate rule that's been around for at least a century. Um, what's your response to his to that comment from Senator Warnock? Well, when it comes to voting rights, civil rights, major changes in the architecture of elections in this country, you need a clear bipartisan vote to do away with uh, the filibuster and allow 50 Democrats in the Senate plus the vice president as a tiebreaker uh, to drive this really does fly in the face of a reality, Joseph. This is a country that is as close to being 50-50 as you can can get. And, and in many areas, there are more Republicans than, than Democrats. For instance, mm-hmm. Republicans control more chambers of state legislatures in the country. We control more governorships. We, in fact, have more uh, county commissioners. Uh, as, as a consequence, any move to change the architecture of elections in our country need bipartisanship, needs bipartisanship. And the one way that you sidestep uh, that consensus-building bipartisanship is to do away with the filibuster, which requires it. Uh, and so what you, what you have now are Washington-based politicians uh, trying to change the architecture uh, for political, corrupt political purposes. Right. They would do They would allow for uh, voters without borders. They, you know, yeah. Not only are they weakening our borders on the southern United States, they are now basically saying regist- you can register illegal immigrants. Secondly, it does away with uh, voter ID, so you can't tell legal immigrants from 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 Americans legal American citizens. Uh, they're they're talking about. Uh, uh, felons being given the right to vote, even if they haven't done the time for the crime yeah. that they, in fact, committed. This is just crazy on its face, and it must be stopped. And we we can't destroy the fabric of the civil rights movement, which was a legitimate movement, uh, and 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 have it cover this Washington-based single-party power grab. Those are really good points, and I think as as our our, our listeners uh, try to follow this issue, recognizing that there really is – it's one issue that has become two issues because H.R. 1, as you just described, would disempower every local elected officials, and there's, you know – Thousands of lo- local elected officials who right now have it, have a say in how elections are conducted in their city and their county. And this would be the federal government saying you no longer have a say on those issues. Um, but in addition to that, in order to accomplish that goal, the, the Democrats are, are proposing and many are, are, are uh, very supportive of the idea that the filibuster should be eliminated. Now, this is – and it's, there's no no small irony in the fact that this is months after the end of the Trump administration, where the Democrats spent a lot of time uh, clinging to political norms, and that was they were so offended because the Trump administration was was violating norms. Now I don't know if there is a longer standing norm in Congress, and I don't I'm not aware of all of them, but the filibuster has to be one of the oldest, longest standing norms in in the in Washington DC and certainly in the United States Senate. And so um 
we are this is not just an issue about voting uh, and about voting rights. This is an issue of how far the left is going to go to break down the um, the process that Washington, D.C. has long gone through to make something law so they can make that happen. Absolutely. And our, our, our listeners should re- just remember this. Uh, it is in everyone's interest in our constitutional republic to make it easy to vote but hard to cheat. Uh, we have both rights as citizens and duties as citizens. And one of the duties that we have is to take the very basic steps to make sure that voters are who they claim to be. That's why voter ID, photo ID is almost universally accepted across the nation as a given. That's because photo IDs are embedded in our culture, whether we're getting on the plane, taking out a library book, you, you name it. That's right. And so to, to make the requirement of making sure that a voter is who she or he claims to be as being a a suppressive move or to be counter to civil rights, fails to understand that we have an obligation to make sure that the integrity of our elections uh, enhance voter confidence in the result. And that's one of the ways that you do it. That's exactly right. One of the ways that you destroy voter confidence is that you take away those verifications that have now become commonplace in American culture. Ken Blackwell, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate your service. Thank you for your time. And folks, we are going to continue this conversation about election integrity on the other side of the break in a conversation with Michelle Bachman. Stay with us. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org slash Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org slash Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. In our time, North Korea remains one of the world's most mysterious countries. Unfortunately, what we do know about North Korea indicates the country is also one of the world's worst abusers of human rights, including violations of religious freedom. The North Korean regime has engaged in an intense crackdown on religion for decades. Today, few religious believers remain, and those who do face grave danger. The secretive nature of the regime, nicknamed the Hermit Kingdom, makes it difficult for American leaders to address these human rights issues. Yet, even though options are limited, the gravity of the situation calls on Western countries to take every action possible to relieve the suffering of the North Korean people, a people who have no chance of speaking up for themselves. To learn more about this important issue, check out FRC's publication titled North Korea, the World's Foremost Violator of Religious Freedom. To access the information you need to stay informed, including a list of policy proposals, go to frc.org 
slash North Korea. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Joseph Backholm sitting in for Tony Perkins today. You just heard a great uh, review, overview of what's going on in Washington, D.C. I don't know if it's great, but a real overview of what's going on in Washington, D.C. about the efforts to loosen election laws to make it easier to monkey with elections at the state level. And now we are going to talk about what is being done to try to make sure that voter integrity is maintained moving forward. And to have that conversation with us, we are happy to welcome Michelle Bachman, the dean of the Regent University School of Government, a former member of Congress from Minnesota and the current FRC board chairman. Michelle, welcome to the program. Joseph, so great to be on the show today. Thank you. Well, we're glad to have you. And and tell us why you're concerned about this election integrity issue. And then I want to find out what exactly you're doing about it. Well, we need to have a free and open discussion of the facts of what actually happened in the 2020 election last November and what is going to happen with elections going forward. Your listeners have all seen that people have been literally thrown off social media platforms if they even raise the question of problems with this last election and election integrity in November. People have actually lost their jobs for questioning the November election results. So no university that I'm even aware of has sponsored any type of public open discussion on this topic. So Regent University is dedicated to free speech and to the truth. And so we are hosting this forum that's coming up on Tuesday, March 23rd. It's free to all of your listeners. It will start at noon and go until 6 p.m. It's a full conference of A-list speakers And the reason why this is so important, Joseph, is because if the American people lose the power of their vote, then they will have lost the power to choose their leaders and they'll have lost the power to choose the laws that we live under. That's exactly right. I want to hold our elected officials accountable. Yeah, I want to get to the details of that. But let's remind people about the details of the event on March 23rd, noon to six. Is this a a virtual event? Is this an in-person event? How can people uh, be part of that? Yeah, I wish it could be in in person, but it can't. So we are virtual. We're online. It will look like a TV show. It's all professionally being done and broadcast. People can join. It's free, no cost. People can go to regent.edu forward slash election integrity. I'll repeat that. Regent 
www.ucc.edu forward slash election integrity. And Joseph, I think you have it yes. on the FRC website. But we're actually going to link to that as well at TonyPerkins.com. Uh, and so both places we can find that information now. Uh, and, and you got a in really impressive lineup of speakers. Not only are you going to be part of this, Dr. Ben Carson, Mark Stein, Eric Metaxas, uh, Secretary Chris Kobach, uh, and I heard uh, Russell Vote is actually going to be there, who we're going to hear from in the next. He, he is. He is the former director of the Office of Management and Budget. He was excited to speak about this topic. Dr. Ben Carson told me that he is literally counting the days until our conference because, again, there has been no forum that I know of in the United States yeah. where we've actually been able to review the 2020 election, put evidence forth, and then talk about where we're going to go in the future on election integrity. So this will be a very unique opportunity for people. We're devoting six hours to this conference. I, th- I think you're right. It's, it's strange how quickly um, concerns about election integrity have kind of become a flat earth uh, category issue. Um, people just don't <laughs> want to talk about it. And the, I mean, I, I've said in all sorts of contexts that the relation, the, the conversations you don't want to have in life are probably the ones that are most important for you to have. And I think the degree to which people are resistant to have conversations about election integrity is evidence itself of how important that issue is. Now, is there is there something that you are specifically concerned about legislatively that you'd like to see happen uh, to make sure that our that we can trust the results of our elections in the future? Absolutely. We're, we're having two panels, very important panels. One will be on H.R. 1. And I know you've been teaching your listeners about the concerns of H.R. 1. That would effectively end free elections going forward. There would be no more competitive elections. So we have a first class panel that will be addressing the issue of H.R. 1. And then we have another panel that will address the issue of voter I.D. That's really the central issue. If people can demonstrate that they are who they say they are and they live where they say they live, that's election integrity. We want people who are legally qualified to be able to vote. H.R. 1 is just the opposite of all of that. They want to make sure that people who aren't legally qualified can vote. In other words, they want to institutionalize cheating in elections going forward. That isn't something we can have because, you know, America's unique, Joseph, as you know, for 400 years since the Mayflower Compact, the Pil- Pilgrim Fathers and Mothers gave us a biblical concept. It's a biblical concept of government, which is this. It's that government is chosen by the will of the people. So our goal is to make sure that that biblical model of governance remains America's government system now and in future elections. But And if we don't, We'll no longer be the America that we've all known and grew up in. We'll be ruled by a small group of elites of one party who will force their will on us without our consent. Now, Michelle, there's a lot of people who share your concern and my concern about this. Is there anything happening at the state level presently that you're optimistic about that could serve as a model for what we want to see around the country? Absolutely. I'll give you one example. In the state of Georgia, a state representative introduced a bill on election integrity to tighten up uh, the requirements so that we would know who people are, that we know that they are who they say they are and that they live where they say they live. That passed in the uh, Georgia House of Representatives after the November election. But 
the county commissioners in that county where that state representative lives forced a resignation because this is considered a political issue. If you are for election integrity, apparently that's now construed a bad thing because there are larger forces who want to make sure that we don't have election integrity because they want outcome-based election voting. In other words, they want to make sure that the elites get their choice not that the people get their choice of who will be our leaders. Michelle Bachman, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for what you're doing on this issue. And I want to remind everybody listening, you can go to TonyPerkins.com to get information about the event that Regent University is hosting this Tuesday, March 23rd from noon to 6. You want to be there. TonyPerkins.com for more information. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk to one of the presenters, Russell Vogt. Stay with us. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. Oh, man. What's wrong? I just missed Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, and our congressman was going to be on the show today. Oh, that's not a big deal. What do you mean? Well, you can always catch the replay of the day's show. How's that? With the Stand Firm app. Yeah? Yep, you can catch that day's program and so much more. You can contact your elected officials on campaigns and policies that are important to you with the Take Action tab. You can listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins live and play previous episodes while conveniently going about your day. You can access the Washington Update, informative blogs, tweets, and critical campaigns on the main feed so you can stay up to date on local and national news. Wow, I'd definitely use that. How do you find the app? Just visit frc.org slash app and download or search Stand Firm in the App Store. Okay, that's Stand Firm. Yep, Stand Firm. How do you know all this? Because I'm a SageCon, but that's another story. Huh? Welcome back to Washington Watch. Earlier this week, Tony Perkins had a conversation with Russell Vogt, the new president for the Center for American Restoration, about the Fairness Act. We're going to listen to that now. Now, you sent a letter to GOP co-sponsors regarding fairness for all. Why did you send the letter and what does it say? I sent a letter because I'm concerned that as the Equality Act goes to the Senate and is likely filibustered, and, and that is the domino effect if the filibuster is maintained, my concern is that the left looks for uh, another bill that could pass. And this bill has 20 Republican members who have signed on to it. It is specifically being pitched by its sponsor as a 
compromise in the cultural wars. And what it does is it attempts to be for two things, providing uh, rights against discrimination for LGBT and, and, and gay individuals, but also to provide religious liberty rights for peoples of faith. And unfortunately, it is, a, it is much too much of a concession into, in that regard for our society at large. It's not just that uh, we need a civil society that protects people of faith, and I don't think it actually does that, and I can get into that. But we don't want to live in a society that's not, that is not based on true human nature and reality, where there are male and female created and uh, with biological differences that go to the core of who they are and how society should be ordered. And there's a cascading impact of practical implications, whether that's the end of female sports, the end of female-only spaces, whether that is the violation of conscious rights for medical professionals and hospitals that don't want to do gender transition surgeries, on and on, there are practical implications of a bill like this. So it doesn't really mean it's a, it's a compromise. It's a surrender to the cultural wars. And unfortunately, it's something that I believe that as a, as a people, we need to rise up and oppose. You know, Russ, as I look at the, the legislation, what, what I see in reading through it is that it simply carves out area for religious institutions or organizations, not so much for individuals who want to exercise religious freedom. And you got to go back to the Constitution. The Constitution guarantees religious freedom, not to churches, but to people who make up those churches, who make up the workplace and every other realm of our society. Yeah, this this is about the ability to practice your faith in society. It's not about protecting your ability to go on Sunday to worship and and uh, benefit from a female-only bathroom. It is the ability for a female employer who is a Christian to go out into the workplace and be able to uh, operate and practice their faith according to the views that they have. This bill would not allow that person to do that. And what's worse, it would lead the entire society to move in the direction of the progressive ideology on which it's based. And my experience has been these carve-outs are very short-lived, uh, you know, and they're primarily done to silence one of the most, uh, you know, in, in this case, it happens to be the church, but generally these carve-outs are designed to silence an influential majority that could keep the legislation from passing. In this case, it's the church, uh, and, and they're carving it out for the church and religious liberty, only to come back and mop up later once everyone else is living under this uh, forced acceptance of uh, human sexuality that's been redefined. Yeah, you're you're a veteran of these wars, Tony, and you've been leading on this for many, many years. And so you know exactly how this works, unfortunately. And that is uh, they, they put these carve-outs in place and then they whittle them down later on uh, as, as, as they find new forms of what they view as discrimination, which is not the case. Um, Christian florists and Christian bakers are not out there saying we are not going to serve uh, individuals who are LGBT. Uh, they may make an, an, a decision that they're not going to participate in a, a wedding ceremony, but the idea that they have uh, not opened their, uh, their, their companies to do business with, with these individuals is not true. And so that's another lie that this, this legislation is founded upon. Russ, let's talk about, uh, you mentioned girls' sports. What would this do to, to, to women's sports? Well, it would continue to allow bureaucrats to b basically put rules in place that allow, that force women's sports to be open to biological males. 
And so there, there is a significant cascading impact when it comes to the practical effects of this. And so if you care about the differences in allowing uh, women to have their own um, sporting events and, and, and males similarly, this would not allow that to, to take place. And I saw that personally, uh, bills like these, in, when, they, when they are uh, being considered by the, the federal agencies, uh, when, when the laws are not defined clearly and the practical implications are left open for bureaucrats or courts to account for, it, it means that culture wins left and right. And, and, uh, and that is my fear for this legislation, that it's not just women's sports, but it's conscience protections for medical professionals and on and on. All right. The list is uh, exhaustive when you look at uh, just how far reaching this legislation and, and you're correct in that you have described it as more of an Equality Act light. Um, what, what are you asking people across the country to do as you've reached out to lawmakers, but what, what can our viewers tonight do as well? Sure, they can go to AmericanRestorationCenter.com and see a copy of the letter. The 20 Republican members were asking for those members to withdraw their name from support of the legislation. They can do that. Uh, and, and that would allow us to, to ensure that the, the left can't look to this bill as a temptation if they continue to be stymied in the Senate with regard to the Equality Act. And in general, to just be educated. You know, I talk about uh, being informed citizens knowing how damaging the Equality Act is and the Fairness for All Act and letting their members know about it both directly and, and in any uh, public platforms that they might have access to, like Twitter or Facebook. That was Tony Perkins talking to Russell Vote from the Center for American Restoration on Pray, Vote, Stand. After the break, we'll listen to a conversation that Tony had with Kathy Grace Duncan, a woman who lived as a man for 11 years. Coming up after the break. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday on over 800 radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Representative Vicki Hartzler, Molly Hemingway, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Dana Lash, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor John MacArthur, Eric Metaxas, Albert Moeller, and more. Tony is joined by leading political figures, pastors, and policy and culture experts who will inspire you to be engaged and informed on the important issues facing America. For a Christian perspective on the news of the day, tune in to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. 
access this important information by visiting frc.org hide. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in again for Tony Perkins today. So glad that you have joined us. We just heard a great conversation that Tony had with Russell Vote on Pray Vote Stand this week. And again, you can be part of that program every Wednesday night at PrayVoteStand.com, uh, 8, o'clock, 8 o'clock Eastern. But now we're going to listen to another conversation as we think about... Uh, the issues of transgenderism and how that's being how that's being discussed in the culture and can you change your gender and can you change back your gender in a maybe an awkward way of saying that but one of the conversations one of the uh, the implications of this conversation is what we mean by love and to have that conversation about the intersection between love and tolerance and transgenderism and same sex relationships i'm going to bring in our resident expert on all things christian ethics and biblical worldview david clausen david welcome back thanks for having me on again joseph well david we're going to I want our audience to hear, the radio audience, to hear what the Pray Vote Stand audience heard earlier this week, this conversation between uh, Tony and Kathy Grace Duncan, who is a woman who lived as a man for 11 years, struggled with her identity, was an abuse survivor herself, now is currently a women's ministry leader at at a church that she attends. Uh, So radical changes in her life. But I think this is an important story because we hear a lot of stories about people going one direction, and we often don't hear the story about people coming back to, to see their identity as who they are as God created them. And I want to listen to this conversation, and then we're going to respond to what we hear when that's done. So let's go ahead and play that interview. You know, Kathy, when when what we see happening of young people that, you know, they, they, they struggle with their sexual identity and what's happening right now, people are wanting to, there are those that want to lock them in to this, this one phase in life where the evidence suggests that 88% of girls and 98% of boys will grow out of it if we're not coaxing them to move in the wrong direction. That's correct. If they, if they would just wait, because it's really not a sexual issue, it's really an issue of the heart. It's a relational issue. And them wanting to be transgender or any of the LGBTQ is just a fruit of a deeper wounding that needs to be healed, something that needs to look at. Rather than looking at the what they want to do, 
it, the question needs to be, why do you want to do it? Or who told you this is good? With what you see happening in our culture today, where there is this vast movement to affirm people that, you know, have these questions saying, oh, maybe, maybe I'm, I, I, I need to transition to being a female if I'm a male. And, and that's immediately, they're, they're locked off from counseling, they're locked off from help that would help them through that process. And, and they're led down this path. Now, this is even more dramatic than it was when you went through your experience. But what would you say to those that are struggling with that based upon what you know now? And as you had, would, if you were looking back on that point in your life, knowing what you know now, what would you share? Well, a couple of things. Um, so when I went through it, it was the early 80s. And um, one of the things that was required is that I live for two years as the opposite gender, because they wanted to know that I was stable. And I've seen a lot of the youth go in, they're just all upside down. And, you know, they're trying to escape. And so I, I would encourage, you know, wait, just wait, um, see if that is something that you really want to pursue. And at the same time, get counseling. Um, look at, you know, what is driving this need? See if you can get to the root of it. And in the beginning, you may not know. Because for me, you know, I had some lies in there that I wasn't safe as a woman, that I was hated as a woman. And being a woman, I would be vulnerable. So I did everything that I could to um, not be a woman, not to be recognized as a woman, uh, identified or, or any of that, because for me, that was safe. The more deceptive I could be, the safer I was. And really, it was a lie, because as I looked back and I've gone through the process of coming out of that lifestyle, it really was relational. Uh, I was so detached from my emotions. I couldn't tell you if I was happy or sad. <laughs> All I knew is, you know, this might hurt. Um, but it's looking at those underlying things that's pushing um, someone to want to choose this. Well, that's, uh, that's powerful insight. What was the turning point for you? The turning point for me is, um, that I think there was kind of two. The first one is when the Lord called to me and said, will you now? And I said yes to him. And at that point in my life, I had just gotten out of a rebound relationship where I recognized I was my dad and she was my mom and this wasn't healthy. And at the same time, I had developed a deep pornography addiction. It was severe. And when the Lord called to me and I said yes to him, he delivered me from that. And I began to open my life everywhere to him and um, just do everything that I could for him and got more and more involved in the church. And then eventually the church learned about me. And so they confronted me. And they asked me, you know, we're hearing these rumors about you and we just want to know who are you, who are you really? And at that point where I confess the truth, because at one point I believed I was a man who used to be a woman, but I confessed the truth and said, I'm a woman living as a man. And when I did, the Holy Spirit blew into me. So I had kind of two encounters with the Lord. The first one was calling me. And then the second one, when I told the truth, I realized I have to go back to being the woman that he created me to be. There was a longing for a relationship with him, kind of more like a desperation of a relationship with him. And I saw that this was in the way. And as I walked out of that, he totally walked with me and brought healing to those places that had me believing that being a man was better or safer. 
Wow. Uh, There's really two key points. Those two key points are so critical when we're talking about the the current legislation and policy, because first off, you're saying the encounter with the Lord, but then secondly, the encounter with the, the, the body of believers who were willing to probably have an uncomfortable conversation in confronting you, but today it would actually be almost illegal under some of these policies. Yeah, and that's the sad thing, because when I look at the bill, it doesn't really offer them a different avenue. It's like, go in, get your hormones, change your name, live this way. There's no alternative. You know what? I I get that you want to look at that, but let's look at a different way. Have you considered, you know, could you wait taking the hormones? You know, and the kids that I've talked to, they have said, if I had to wait, I probably wouldn't have transitioned. I, I, you know, I grew out of this. I, I like who I am now. So it was a, truly, it was a phase that they went through. But if they don't have another option, if they're only shown this one road, even though they're not sure about it, they're going to take it because they think that is the best advice that they're getting, the best treatment, if I could put it that way. Kathy Grace, I have to ask you a question. You, you may not have the answer to this, but I, I just feel compelled to ask you this question because what, what you described is what I've heard over and over, that people, they, they only do it because they're kind of encouraged to do it. Had they had more time or thought through it or had an alternative uh, viewpoint, they may not have done it. So I, I'm left to believe, and again, this is based on conversations and a lot of reading and research, that a lot of people in this lifestyle are not really happy. Uh, they're, they're, they're longing, they're looking uh, for that fulfillment that they've not found. Why then are they encouraging others to go down that same path? And why are they restricting the ability of others to warn them? Well, I think it goes back to um, knowing the Lord and understanding the freedom that's available in Christ. Um, you know, they don't know that, so they don't know another way. Um, the whole gospel, if you will, has been taken out of the equation. And in, I, I think, too, that those that are unhappy don't realize how unhappy and how unsatisfied they were. I, I didn't until, you know, I continued to be wooed by the Lord. Um, but I, I did think that when I first started taking the hormones that I was free, Little did I know I was going deeper into the lifestyle, deeper into the deception, and things actually got harder. Um, I didn't escape from any of my problems. I didn't escape from anything that was going to make me safer, if you will. In fact, it intensified it. I've talked to others that have had surgeries, and they've told me that it's only intensified their problems. It's made them more lonely because now with the um, surgeries, they feel even more like an outcast. And that's why I think there's the community, because we need the community of people who are like us, like-minded, to go in and continue to affirm that. But the moment that they start to think otherwise, then there is the threat. You know, what are you thinking? If you do that, we're going to, you know, and even if they're not threatened, they're kind of bullied to stay on that path that they're on. And it's just not healthy. That was a conversation that Tony had with Kathy Grace Duncan earlier this week on Pray, Vote, Stand. 
David Clawson, as you listen to that interview, as we take in her story of, of identity, of belonging, of believing that she was a man and then coming to realize who she really was in Christ, one of the things she said is that it's a relational issue. It's an issue of the heart. It's the fruit of a deeper wound. And I know that when she says that, there's a lot of people, uh, transgender advocates, people in that community who would be deeply offended by the suggestion that there's a heart issue, that there's a, there's a deeper wound being manifested by that identity issue. Why do they not want to hear those words, even from people who have walked that path? You know, Joseph, it's a great question. And I, again, I encourage all of our listeners to listen to this full interview that Tony did with uh, Kathy Grace Duncan. Uh, it, it's just moving. It's just powerful. Um, and, you know, it, it's that perspective is, is one that no one seems to even want to allow into the public square anymore. Uh, you know, I, I really appreciate what she said about the importance of how in her own journey, listening to the voice of God, and then the community that she found in the body of Christ, how significant it was uh, that the church came alongside her, spoke truth in love. And, and, and just frankly, you know, this gets to the question of what does it mean to show love to someone? And, you know, Kathy Gifford, she would say that, or excuse me, Kathy Gifford, Kathy Grace, would say um, that for her it was that truth in love that ultimately allowed her to find healing and hope that she desperately needed. That's what filled that void, uh, that desperation she was talking about. But it was that truth plus love that allowed her to come uh, to a place of healing and wholeness. I, I think that's a great point. This really is a uh, a conflict. It's a disagreement over the definition of what love is, right? And we saw this manifest itself earlier this week when the the Vatican released a statement saying that it was not okay for Catholic churches to bless same-sex relationships because, as the Pope as the Pope said, we cannot bless sin, what they called sin. And of course, that had a predictable negative reaction from a lot of people, including Don Lemon, who is a CNN t television personality. And, and I'm going to read the quote that he had and then respond to that. He said, I would say to the Pope and the Vatican and all Christians or Catholics, go out and meet people and try to understand people and do what the Bible and do with the Bible and what Jesus actually said. If you believe in Jesus, and that is to love your fellow man and judge not, lest ye be judged. Now, that was Don Lemon's response, basically saying, don't agree with the Pope. Um, you need to go love people. Why do they have a different idea of what it means to love than we would? Yeah, Don Lemon does, and really so many people kind of on the secular progressive left. And, you know, you and I, Joseph, would be the first to say that love is one of the highest virtues. Um, but, you know, what, what they're doing is they're redefining love. For them, love is just – it's really meaning tolerance. Uh, acceptance, right? Go along – acceptance, you go along to get along. But as Christians, we we should never conflate love and tolerance. Yes, loving people is a priority, but I think as you pointed out in an article you, uh, that came out on Wednesday, loving God – or excuse me, loving people is a priority, but it's not the highest priority. Uh, loving God is the highest priority. And what does it mean to obe uh, love God? Well, it means that we obey God. We, we keep His commandments. 
And uh, it, scripture is, is so clear, and I appreciate it. Uh, I'm not Catholic, but I, I appreciate what the Catholic Church did, which uh, earlier this week just confirming that scripture teaches uh, that this is, you know, one man, one woman is God's design for marriage, and any departure from that is a departure from God's plan. And again, as Christians, we have to be people who are showing love, but we're standing in truth. It's not loving to lie about some of these things that God has revealed in his word. Yeah, the the pressure that we feel as Christians from culture is to accept their definition of love. And there certainly is overlap because we we see that love is patient and love is kind and is long-suffering. And all of these great things that love is and that God tells us be these things because these are these are an expression of love. But I to me the 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 place where the paths diverge is 1 Corinthians 13, 6, where it says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Or some translations would say, does not rejoice in unrighteousness. And the difference between God's understanding of love and the world's understanding of love is that the world demands a celebration of unrighteousness, what God calls unrighteous, as love, and God forbids the celebration of that unrighteousness as love. And you really have to choose. Those are mutually exclusive, aren't they? They're, they're mutually exclusive. And just seven chapters earlier, Joseph, Paul made it clear. He says, he asked yep. the question, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? David, we are out of time, unfortunately, and that's entirely my fault. But we're going to continue this conversation soon. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you all next time on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.